This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 55. Today is Friday, September 21st, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I have an interview with Channel 7 Buffalo sportscaster, a guy I think is a rising star in the Buffalo sports media scene. Matt Beauvais will be my guest today. Matt's Buffalo area born and raised. He talks about growing up in Western New York, growing up a Boston Red Sox fan, which I won't hold against him, even though I'm not a fan of that. Matt tells a story of how he nearly went to UConn for college but a really bad panic attack derailed that. He talks about going to Buff State for college, graduating there, and getting right into Channel 7, although it was a long road for him to get to where he wanted to get to. He started there as an editor and a photographer. He worked his way up to being a morning show news reporter before ultimately getting into his dream position of being able to be a sportscaster at Channel 7. So we talked that. We talked sports media talk to Buffalo Sabres and a lot more. I had a fun chat with Matt. He's a really good guy. And like I said, someone I think is really on the rise. We're going to get to that interview in just a second. After that, I have the running with Joe segment, something that's becoming a regular thing here on Fridays featuring my buddy from New York City, Joe. Today, we're examining how much of the Buffalo Bills woes early on this season could be attributed to quote unquote here, trust in the process and how much of it is just flat-out awful personnel decisions. I also get Joe's thoughts on Maroon 5 as a Super Bowl halftime show entertainment, Game of Thrones winning another Emmy for Best Drama, the WWE Hell in a Cell pay-per-view last week, and Joe hits a finisher on Buffalo Bills beat reporters. So yes, as always, it's a packed episode. No more time shall be wasted here. Let's get right to my interview with Channel 7 Buffalo's Matt Beauvais, followed immediately by The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today is one of the rising stars in the Buffalo sports media scene. He's a sports reporter at Channel 7, and he's quickly becoming one of the more entertaining media guys around. I'm talking about Matthew Beauvais. What's going on, Matt? How you doing? I'm well. I don't know if I would say a star, but that's awfully nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. I kind of want to keep the same format that I do with most of my sports media guys, especially the local ones. I like to kind of go back to yeah. the beginning a little bit. So so I know that you're a native of Western New York. Where exactly are you from and where did you grow up? 
So I grew up in Wheatfield, which is about 20 minutes north of the city. It sounds way more rural than it actually is, good old Wheatfield. I ended up going to Buff State, so that's, you know, I was there for three and a half years. I went for journalism, and I got really, really lucky because I ended up having a Channel 7 employee as a professor. She offered an internship to me. I took it. I was a show editor as my first job there. Had no idea what any of that meant until I got into the business. Then I became a photographer, did that for a little while. Then I was actually a news reporter on our morning show at Channel 7 for about two years. And then they hired Joe Biscalia, and Joe Biscalia eventually took over as the sports director. And he asked me if I would be interested in the move to sports because I did a lot of just extra work with sports and just kind of helped them whenever they needed it. And here we are. <laughs> now, going back to being a kid, did you grow up a big sports fan? I mean, I'm assuming that you were a fan of the Buffalo sports team since you're from Western New York. Who else did you like? Who were a couple of your favorite teams and a couple of your favorite athletes as a kid? So growing up, I was a Sabres and I was a Bills fan. Obviously, you grow up sure. here. That's kind of rite of passage. I was a really big, it sounds weird, Red Sox fan. And I became a Red Sox fan because my dad was a Blue Jays fan and all of my neighbor friends were Yankees fans. And I like to be different, so I just <laughs> went with the Red Sox. And at the time, they stunk. But then they got really good really quick, which was awesome. I didn't know how to handle liking a team that wasn't bad because when you grow up in Buffalo, the teams you like are usually bad. So, you know, I loved David Ortiz, Nomar Garcia-Para, just guys like that growing up. And I was also a big golf fan growing up just because I loved to golf. So I liked watching Tiger. I mean, I was growing up basically Tiger in his prime. Right. Phil, Sergio, some of those guys. And I casually watched the NBA. I loved Kobe. I loved LeBron. I know most people only can choose one. I liked both of them. So I'm just a casual NBA fan. And that's really to this day. I just watch it here and there. But baseball is kind of my big thing now, especially because I cover the Bills and Sabres. You know, you take yourself out of it so much once right. it becomes your profession. So the Red Sox are my favorite team. They're really the only team I root for passionately, at least these days. Now, you mentioned Buff State. You go there for college. I don't know why, but I feel compelled to ask pretty much every sports media guest I have on this same question. Why did you decide on going to Buff State and were there other schools that you considered going to or that maybe you wanted to go to? Or was it 100% Buff State for you all the way? <laughs> no, it was definitely not 100% Buff State all the way. My original plan was actually to go to Buff State for two years and then to transfer to Syracuse because, you know, Syracuse has the prestige. Everybody talks about going to Newhouse. Sure. I went to Buff State for two years. I kind of liked it, but I also realized that I wanted to do an internship at ESPN. So I actually enrolled and got accepted into UConn. And I was like, okay, I'm in stores, Connecticut. I'm going to be close to ESPN. I'm going to be right in between New York City and Boston. Hopefully that could open some cool career opportunities and we'll see what will happen. I'm not kidding, Pat. I went to UConn for my final visit and I was on the verge of a panic attack. And my parents had to like calm me down. They're really? like, it's going to be fine. You can just go back to Buff State. So two weeks before the end of that semester, I just ended up scratching UConn. I, you know, I left a roommate on the table. I left my schedule. I just basically was like, you know what? Going back to Buffalo, went back to Buff State. Because I had so many credits there, I was able to graduate early, finished my last year, and then uh, the stars kind of aligned. I actually got my job at seven during my last semester at Buff State. So I was double dipping. I was going to school for journalism and actually working in a newsroom. So it was a weird dynamic. Do you remember how old you were when you figured out that broadcast journalism was definitely something that you wanted to pursue? 
I mean, was it something that you decided later on in high school before that? Because I've had guests on, you know, who they knew they wanted to be a sports journalist pretty much literally since they could write their own name. And then on the other end, I've had guests on who had no idea what they wanted to do with their life until well after high school, actually in some cases, even after college. You know, it's weird because I always knew I wanted to do something in sports. I just didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Growing up when I was in school, I liked writing. I liked, you know, talking a lot. I think anybody who does this job was probably a chatty Kathy when they were a kid. Sure. And it was just kind of a perfect blend. I never knew exactly that I wanted to be, you know, a TV sports reporter, sports anchor, anything like that. I never had, you know, those epiphanies when I was a kid. And I was like, yeah, I want to be, you know, John Murphy or Paul Peck or those guys who were on TV when I grew up. So I never really had that moment, but as I kind of got into the industry and I saw what they do on a day-to-day basis, I tell people all the time, there are days at our job that are stressful. There are days that are difficult. The hours are tough. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. Every single day is different. And, you know, for, I get paid to talk and write about sports. Who wouldn't want to do that if you love sports? So it really is cool. I never had that, like, you know, big moment that I knew, you know, when I was 12 years old, this is what I was going to do. But as I got into the journalism, you know, degree at Buff State, and I saw the different ways it could take me, I knew the end goal was always doing something in sports. Now you started Channel 7 as an editor and a photographer, like you said. You become a general news reporter in 2014, and you worked primarily, if I remember, on the morning show, right? Yeah, I was the morning guy. So I would, yeah, I would show up. How hard was that? I mean, adjustment for you or for anyone, I would assume you're probably getting up around 3 a.m. or somewhere around that time frame pretty much to do a morning show like that. How much of an adjustment is that in your life, working that kind of schedule or having that kind of sleep schedule? How long did it take you to get used to it? You never get used to it. You absolutely never get used to it. And, you know, there are people who absolutely love the morning show, and there are other people who can't stand the morning show just because of the hours. I think what you do on a morning show, just your day-to-day work, actually goes by really, really quick, and it's really enjoyable. It's a lot of breaking news, and it's also, at the same time, a lot of lighthearted feature stories that are mm-hmm. really, really fun to do. But like you said, my alarm went off every single day at 2.15 a.m. I would get to work by 3.30, around that, somewhere in that range, and I wouldn't leave until 1 o'clock. Your sleep schedule just never catches up because, you know, to get in a routine, you have to keep the same schedule. But then when Friday hits, you're not going to bed at seven o'clock like you would on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday. You want to stay up and you want to go see your friends and you want to do things. And, you know, as someone who is interested in sports, it was a nightmare. Like if you had a fantasy player who was playing on a Monday night game, there's no chance you're watching it. You had a better chance catching the second half of the game than the first half. Couldn't watch hockey games. You couldn't watch, you know, a lot of stuff that you wanted to see. And you just missed so much of your life. But there are a lot of people who say that once you have a, you know, kids and you have a family, the morning show is the best way because you're home by one o'clock every single day. And people love that. But huge adjustment. Massive. Sure. In 2016, you start covering sports. Do you feel like it was kind of a destiny of a source that you'd always be a sports reporter? And also, I mean, in a typical fashion, you start somewhere and you kind of paid your dues and worked your way up to where you wanted to get to. Most people don't just walk into a TV station and bam, they're on the air at six o'clock, you know, doing the sports at 620 or whatever have you. You kind of paid your dues and worked your way up to that ladder to get to where you wanted to go. Yeah, I definitely feel like in a sense that I did kind of climb my way up the ladder. But at the same time, I realized how fortunate and how lucky I am because there are a thousand people who would take my job tomorrow if for some reason I ever 
you know, was let go or decided to leave or whatever might happen. But yeah, it was always something I really, really wanted to do. And I just thought, you know, wow, whenever I would fill in with the sports team, because I actually kind of latched on a little bit earlier as the guy who would shoot the Bills games for the sports department, just because we don't have a specific photographer for sports. So when I was a news reporter, it was built into my schedule that, you know, those eight Sundays a year when they're at home, I would be the guy on the sidelines shooting the game. So that was really my first taste of covering sports. And then you go to the sporting events and you see all of the guys that you read and the people who you look up to and, you know, the people who quite honestly, you're fans of, and you see those guys and you see what they do on a day-to-day basis. And you wonder, would I be able to do this? And how do I get a chance at doing this? So for me, it was lucky that I already had my foot in the door, or I really, at this point had both feet in the door. I had been at the station for like three years at that point. I like to think that I can kind of do a lot of things. You know, I'm pretty, you know, they say we're right. multimedia journalists. I think I'm pretty good at a lot of different things, which is a really, really nice trait to have, I guess, in a newsroom. I love being a photographer. You know, there's guys who don't like shooting things. I love the days when I just throw a camera on my shoulder and I go shoot football games or whether it's high school or build games or whatever it has you. I like writing. I like talking. So it's, it's a nice blend, I guess. Now, you mentioned some other guys. Joe B., he's one of, if not the best Buffalo Bills reporter in the game today. And I mean that. I think he does an amazing job, not just reporting news, but offering insight into things. I just don't seem to get anywhere else. What's it been like for you working with Joe? And I'm pretty sure learning from him as well. Yeah, I look up to Joe, both literally and figuratively, in a lot of different ways. So... He's an amazing guy to work with. And, you know, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, he's one of the big reasons why I even got into sports because we had a really strong relationship together when he would cover the Bills games and I would be the guy at Channel 7 shooting them. But I would be lying. I would be lying to you if I told you that I don't learn something new from him. Basically, every time we have a conversation about football, whether he's teaching me about different techniques or different packages, because, you know, like like we said, you know, we're all football fans when we grow up and we like to watch the game but there's so much that goes into it and just the amount of work that he puts into his coverage. It's truly, it's something that I admire and it's something that, you know, hopefully one day I feel like I can do the same thing with the Sabres or with whatever team it might be, but just the film that he's watching, the people that he's talking to. And I think the thing that makes Joe so, you know, special is how relatable he is. He's such an easy guy to talk to. One of the easiest. Yeah. And anybody who's met him can just say he's very, very genuine. And, you know, luckily, a lot of the people who work in this business, at least to me, have been, you know, people always say, I don't want to say that they're my heroes, but people always say, don't meet your heroes because they're going to let you down. But, you know, sometimes you get worried about these people who you've looked up to in sports media, whether they're at the different TV stations or at the paper or, you know, now that the guys with the athletic or whoever it might be, you're worried that they might not be as cool as you imagine. And the first time I met Joe, he was such a cool guy and we kind of um we kind of just grew together because he was there i think he got to the station when i was about two and a half years in there and we just kind of built a friendship there is a little bit of an age difference between us he's a little bit older than me so i think he kind of took me under his wing and maybe he saw some sort of potential and was like hey let's let's see if we can make this work and i'm lucky and blessed that he did i'll tell you man one of the things i really love about this podcast it kind of feels like a circle of life because I've had Joe on the show before and I've asked him the same questions. And he talked about 
guys like Paul Hamilton and Brad Ryder that helped bring him up and teach him a little bit about the business. You know what I mean? And guys that he had to look up to. Now you got someone like Joe and, you know, a couple of years down the road, hopefully you'll be paving that way where a couple of young guys are getting into the game. They're going to be talking about you that same way that you're talking about guys like Joe now. You know what I mean? Well, that's really, really cool to hear. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Joe would care if I say this, but Joe all the time will get emails from people or someone will tweet him and they'll ask him for advice and he'll even go and, you know, get a cup of coffee with them and talk about their career because for him, it was Jerry Sullivan. Jerry Sullivan was really, really great to Joe when he was growing up and was awesome. And they still have their friendship today. Yep. And yeah, you know, we, we say the same thing. We'll have different people come into the sports department and just kind of shadow us. And we're like, listen, the best thing that you can do is build a relationship with somebody, because even if one person vouches for you and has your back, you have no idea where that might lead you. And some of the other guys you mentioned, like Paul Hamilton, we go back and forth with each other all the time on Twitter, but he's someone who I think does a great job. And I look up to him professionally and some of the other guys like, you know, Tim Graham and Tyler Dunn, I think are two of the best writers who have ever been here in Buffalo. I know now that Tyler's at Bleacher Report, he's doing the big national stories, but that's appointment reading for me every time that they write something. You know, same thing with Vogel over at The Athletic. I think he's a super down-to-earth, nice guy. So it's cool to build these relationships with people who you work with in at least a sense. And then you realize you look up to these guys, and then maybe one day someone who's 20 now, when I'm 30, will be like, oh, yeah, I kind of like what that Matt Bovee does. I wonder you know, what he's like, and maybe I'd bump into him somewhere or whatever it might be. It's just, it's so much about building relationships. And that's not just in media, that's in life. You know, if you're nice to people and you do good things, usually it all comes full circle. Absolutely. I'm sure there's been plenty of cool things and you could go on forever about them, you know, that you like about your job, but what do you consider the single coolest part of your job? Like, what do you like the most? I think what I like the most is that every day is different and that every day is unpredictable. And, you know, growing up, I had a lot of jobs that, you know, everybody is meant to do something, whatever that might be. But, you know, my first job, I was the guy in the shopping or in the, in the parking lot of a grocery store, pushing the carts into, uh, into tops, into the stalls. And then I worked at Gap at the outlet mall and then Nike at the outlet mall. And I just, you know, those jobs, they were so, I could go into it every single day and know exactly what I was going to do that day. And it drove me crazy because there was really no excitement to it, or at least I didn't find excitement to it. You know, with this job, one day I'm at the stadium covering the bills. The next day I'm at the arena covering the Sabres. The next day I'm at a high school football game and I'm driving all around Western New York and then crazy stuff happens. And yeah, at times it gets stressful, but I love that so much of my day is not spent at a desk in an office driving myself crazy, I would lose it if I had to sit at a desk for 40 hours every single week. And, you know, growing up, my dad had a desk job and he did well and was able to provide for us. But he would tell me all the time, he was like, Matt, do something that you like, because no matter how much money you're going to make or whatever's going to happen, if you don't like it, it's not worth it. Right. You're going to be miserable if you don't like your job. So find something that you like. And for me, I mean, it's sports. I would be doing these same things if I wasn't getting paid to do them. That kind of leads into my next question here. Now, you work in sports media for a living, but beyond that, you're clearly a fan of sports media. You always have been. So let me ask you this. What are your thoughts on all the craziness going on in 2018 with the Buffalo media, particularly on the print and digital side? I mean, you got the Buffalo News, which completely imploded, at least for a little while. They're bouncing back now. They've made some pretty good new hires. Now you got the Athletic. 
They're on the scene in a big, major way. You got Bucky and Sully trying to do their own thing now and branch out. I mean, it's a pretty crazy turn of events over, say, just a year ago, isn't it? It really is crazy, and I would have never predicted we would see so many changes that we did. And I think a lot of that change really comes down to people consume their news and their sports information in such a different way now than they did. You know, I know you're big on Twitter, but so many people, they get their information from social media. They find their articles that they end up reading online, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever it might be. You know, we get told at our station all the time, we're a TV station, but we're also a media company. You know, we're on the air for two and a half hours a night, but what about the other 21 and a half hours of the day? People need to be able to find you on different platforms. So for me, it seems like the radio stations are trying to become more like TV stations and newspapers. The newspapers are trying to become more like TV stations and radio stations. The TV stations are trying to become more like newspapers. Right, yeah. And it's just this weird big, it's this weird big cycle. And back in the day, you had the newspapers, They were the guys who were the best writers, and that's where they belonged. You had the TV stations. Those are the guys who were the best on camera. They were the guys who got the video. And then you had the radio stations, and those are the people who could bring the analysis and go more in-depth on certain things. And now it's all kind of just meshed together, and everybody's trying to figure out what's the best way of attacking this. So it's a really, really interesting time. But honestly, it kind of keeps you on your toes. It does get a little worrisome because you see how the, you know, the industry is changing and how the landscaping has changed. Yeah. Like, I think to myself, how could the news ever lose some of those really well-respected guys that they had? Those were the guys who I went to to get the information, but that's just the way it is, I guess. I don't know. It's crazy. One of the things I like about you, and you mentioned Twitter, I think you do a really good job on Twitter. Maybe it's because of your age and, you know, you're young and hip enough, kind of, you know that you need to interact with fans more than some other people who may be a little more stuck in their way because they're 25, 30 year old veterans. And it feels like it's a chore to them. You know, they go on Twitter because they have to, and that's it. You're good at interaction with fans. And I think you're good at being entertaining without letting the trolls, which anyone in the sports media has trolls. I don't care who you are, no matter how good of a job you do. You got trolls who just want to start shit with you, want an insider response, and for no other reason. Anyway, I think you're good at handling that. You don't let them get the better of you. How do you feel about social media, particularly Twitter, as it relates to your job that you got to do and just in general, you know, getting news, talking to fans, talking to other people and such? Well, thank you for the compliment, but I absolutely love it because I think it's a really cool way to interact with other people. I mean, Pat, I don't know if we would have ever met if it wasn't for Twitter. The same thing can be said for a lot of different other, you know, a lot of other relationships that I've built and different people that I've met over the years. And I just think it's a cool way to gather news. I think it's informal, which is the way that I like to be. You know, we talk about how the industry has changed. 20 years ago, someone wanted to find out what was going on with the Sabres. They had to wait for the paper to come out or they would turn on their news at six o'clock and they would hear some robot telling them what happened in the Sabres at Sabres practice that morning. Whereas now that information is so immediate and it does make things a lot more challenging, I guess is probably the fair way because the minute something happens, then, you know, you start scrambling. Sabres signed Sam Reinhardt. Great example. You see Bob McKenzie's tweet, and then all of a sudden you're trying to call his agent and you're calling people and different sources that you have. You're worried about getting something on the website and figuring out when this is all going to happen. You know, if there was no Twitter, we would just find out when the deal happened and then we would be done and then we would all be in the same mess. But I love Twitter. I think it's cool from a, you know, a networking standpoint. I think it's great from a consumer standpoint. 
And I just think it's a fun place to interact with different people too. I love chatting with people who have different opinions because sometimes it changes my opinion. You know, you think that you're not the crazy one, but then you say something and then people are like, eh, actually, I think this. And then you're like, oh, maybe I should have thought about that more. But I really like Twitter. I don't do nearly as good enough good of a job interacting with people on Facebook as I should. But for me, Twitter is my generation network, I guess. So Twitter and Instagram. And then Facebook is a lot of people, but that's where you find viewers of TV stations. Facebook is the big one. You know, in our building, Twitter's important, but Facebook is the most important. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I agree with you about Twitter too. I think it is fun as long as you're able, like I said, with the trolls, to not let that get the better of you. There's some guys in the media, I've, I've had them on the show, like Mike Harrington. I've went at it with him before. It's like, why do you keep going back and forth? These people, they're just going to talk shit to you to get you to respond and get into a fight with them. Tim Graham, who, who I agree with you, man, he's the best. He's one of the nicest guys. He's one of the closest people that I have in the media in terms of, you know, who's helped me out and done the most. Same deal with him, man. Just they go at it with these fans who, who got 10 followers. Their only goal is to get you in a fight with them and, and, and to drag you through the mud. And some of these guys just fall for it way, way too often. But moving on, because I do yeah, that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I was just going to say, basically, they, they want you to respond because yes. it makes their day if you respond. And then they can, you know, be like, oh, look, look how thin skinned that person is or whatever it might be. Listen, we all have at least a little bit of thin skin. No matter sure. what somebody's going to say, it's going to rub you the wrong way. That's just the way it is. If someone tweets at me, Beauvais, you suck at your job. I hate you. You're the worst, peop- you're the worst person in sports media. I'm going to brush it off and I'm not really going to care chances are I'm going to quote it and be like, thank you so much. I appreciate the advice or whatever it might be. But deep down, it will dig at me just a little bit. Cause then I think, ah, do I really suck that bad? I can't believe they would say that, but you just have to have fun with it. And you have to take everything with a grain of salt. One more sports media question. Then I want to talk about the savers for a few before we wrap up. You're a pretty young dude in an industry. Like you talked about, that's really changing a lot. I think you're well in touch with today's sports world and social media world. Like we just talked about, what advice would you have for some teenager right now who's listening to this podcast, listening to you, and they're thinking about becoming a sports journalist, whether they want to be a writer, whether they want to you know, have a career in radio, or whether they want to be on TV like you? What advice would you give them right now as a teenager? Learn everything and try and take everything in, because the only reason I even got my job in sports was because I knew how to work a camera. I knew how to write for a sports website, any of those different things. You know, you think you're getting into TV and all you're going to do is end up and talk on camera. That's the farthest from the truth. Usually we're the guys who are setting up the cameras also. And then you write things for the website and then you need to know how to set up a podcast and all these different things. There are so many different layers that go with it. So if you want to be a writer, you should know how to also be a photographer because chances are the first job that you're going to get, you're probably going to have to take pictures too. And if your pictures stand out, maybe that opens up opportunities elsewhere. If you think you're just going to be someone who's like on TV, got to learn the photography side too. Just learning different little things. It's, it's learning. I forget the phrase exactly, so I don't want to screw it up. But it's knowing a little about a lot is a really good way of thinking of things. All right, let's move on to the Sabres for a few. We're not going to talk Bills today. I already got them covered later in the podcast. And frankly, they're depressing and I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> Now, exactly. So you're a Sabres guy before that anyway. So not so much as a reporter, but also as a fan, how frustrating has the past handful of years been for you seeing the Sabres stink? 
you know, and go all the way to the bottom of the league and pretty much remain there. As a fan, forget being a sportscaster, as a fan right now, how much has that bothered you the last few years? You know, it's weird because I have separated myself from it. And I think it's just because it is a day-to-day thing. You know, like growing up, you are a sports fan. I was a Sabres fan, admittedly. That's what I cared about. And it's slowly over the years, like as you start to cover something more and more, you take yourself more out of it. And it sounds so cliche and stupid, but you really do root for good stories. So admittedly, a good story would be watching the Sabres turn around. So you want to see that because I don't want to see everybody here in Buffalo miserable. I don't want to see people upset. When the hockey team or the football team are good, people are having fun living here in Buffalo. So I would like to see them turn a corner just because it would make my job more enjoyable and it would also make the people around me more enjoyable. But it's just kind of been like, why can't you turn the corner? You know, you thought it was going to happen when you got Eichel. And then you took one step forward and you took three steps back. Now it looks like it's going to happen with Deline. So in the back of your head, you start to wonder, are we going through the exact same thing we went through three years ago? Or are things different now? And that's what you have to figure out. What is different about this team than those teams where this team could have success that that team clearly didn't have? There's been unfair, and in my opinion, at least anyway, totally unfounded rumors that Jack Eichel off the ice over the past few years has been an issue. You know, one that he essentially is the one who ran Dan Bleisma out of town. And the other is that him and Ryan O'Reilly did not get along. They hated each other. Do you consider these rumors ridiculous? Do you think they have any teeth? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're ridiculous. I think everybody wants to find a punching bag. Everybody wants to find somebody to blame. And Jack Eichel is the easiest person to blame because he was supposed to be the guy who was going to come in here and fix all of the problems. And that never happened. So, you know, if you're looking at the team, you go, well, there's only one constant of all of these terrible teams and it's Jack Eichel. What the heck's going on here? And yeah, I think there's probably some truth to every little thing that different people hear, but that's so, so small. I don't think Dan Bilesmo was fired because of Jack Eichel. There were a ton of different reasons why he was fired. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly was traded because there was some sort of bad blood between Jack Eichel. The same thing. There's a massive list of reasons why he was traded. So yeah, believe whatever you want to believe. I can't tell you what I think is what you should think is right and what you should think is wrong. But I mean, you're you're at this point you're piling on somebody who just turned 21 years old, who was thrown into a situation where he was expected to be the savior, and he's done everything that he could while also getting hurt way too many times he would be so frustrated with kind of the way the first three years have gone just it's not all his fault I know he's going to be the guy who's praised and the guy who's criticized but I mean remember he's still 21 years old lay off a little bit let's talk about Sam Reinhardt for a minute here he signed a two-year bridge deal at 3.65 million per year average what are your thoughts on that are you surprised at the deal that he got that was it did you expect it to be more? Did you expect it to be less? What are your thoughts on that? I expected it to be more. And, you know, I had this conversation the day, you know, when it all went down, basically talking about, I wonder what it would have taken to get Reinhardt under contract for five years. But you look at the two-year bridge deal, it kind of makes sense for both sides because it gives Reinhardt an opportunity to prove himself and basically work his way towards a bigger and better contract that's not way far off in the distance. I mean, two years. Two years are going to fly by. We're going to snap, and it's going to be two years down the line. But from the Sabres' perspective, it gives you a little bit of time to try and figure out what kind of player is Sam Reinhardt. Is he going to be a guy who scores 50 points every single year? Or 
is that the floor? And he's going to continue to grow and put up more numbers and be more consistent. So I think it works to both sides benefit. I think the Sabres really got a good deal for 3.65. I thought it was going to be more. I thought it was going to be about four and a half million personally. So, I mean, you look at some of the other guys who make three and a half million dollars a year and you go, yeah, I would take Sam Reinhardt over almost any of them. So I think it was a good deal for the Sabres. Do you think he immediately goes on a line with Jack Eichel and Skinner? Where do you think he slots in? I think he slots in with Skinner and Eichel. I think that's probably their first line. Skinner on the left, Eichel down the middle, and then Reinhardt on the right. And then I think you probably have an interesting conversation to be had. What do you do with Oposo? Because I don't think that Oposo should be paired with middle stats. So maybe you put Oposo with a guy like Berglund at center, and you mm-hmm. see what happens with that combination. I just think that they would probably have you know, a similar skill set at least in a puck possession kind of way of looking at the game. You know, you, one of the biggest strengths of Jack Eichel is his speed. And it's not like Sam Reinhart is some guy who can looks like he gets shot out of a cannon, but he's faster than a poso. And Skinner is faster than really anybody that Eichel's played with, you know, aside from maybe Kane. So then you kind of just bump your way down the lineup. So I think that'll be the first line. And I think they're going to be a very, very, very productive trio, Skinner, Eichel, and Reinhart. Now, if you could play Phil Housley for a second, and we assume that it's their first line, and I'm pretty sure you're right there. Who would you skate Middlestad with? Who who should be on that line with him? It's not a not a person. No, I would put Evan Rodriguez with him for sure. I think Evan Rodriguez is a really solid hockey player who's versatile and can kind of go anywhere. Right. So I think I would put Rodriguez with him unless, and this is risky, but unless Alex Nylander is really that impressive and he can be slotted into that role. So I think the Sabres need to be careful with Middlestad because, yes, he is probably more talented already than Patrick Berglund. But that said, you don't want to have to play him as a second-line center right away. He's only got five games, or excuse me, six games NHL experience up to this point. Let him play in the offensive zone. Let him not have to play the gritty minutes. Kind of protect his development a little bit. So if the first line is the line that we talked about, that's Skinner, Eichel, Reinhardt. Maybe the second line is Sheary, Berglund, Oposo. And then the third line is Middlestat, Nylander, slash Rodriguez, and then whoever you want on the right side. Maybe it's Tage Thompson. A lot of people are excited about him. Maybe it's a guy like Jason Pominville. I don't think it will be him. I think Tage Thompson is the more likely scenario there, trying to keep things young a little bit. And then you go, go to the fourth line, and then you basically just, who ends up making this team? Is C.J. Smith on the team? Maybe he's bumped up a little bit. Does Gergensen make the team? What happens with Asplund? Uh, Vladimir Sabotka, he could probably be on that third line with Middlestad. There are options. This is the deepest team this team, the Sabres have had in a while. It is. Now let's turn our attention to Rasmus Dahlin. What were your thoughts on his preseason debut against Pittsburgh on Tuesday night? I think he was impressive. I think there were a lot of mistakes, but that's okay. That is what makes him so special is that he is willing to try different things that so many other defensemen wouldn't even dream of trying. He just sees the ice so differently than everybody else, and he makes things look so effortless. His best hockey is yet to come. He's still an 18-year-old kid who's learning the game. But sure, go out and make mistakes because that's how you're going to learn to not do those things in the future. If you want to try something, I mean, come on. The Sabres haven't had anybody like him ever. It's really been decades since they've had someone even remotely close to him. Let him go out, try things, make mistakes. Fans need to try and be patient with him. He's not going to be the best defenseman in hockey right off the bat. 
give him some time. He's still a kid, kind of like we talked about with Eichel earlier, but his skill set is just absurd. It's stupid how good he is. One more Sabres question, and then I want to get to the mini lightning round to finish. Everyone thinks the Sabres will improve, but no one thinks they're going to be a playoff team. I got to ask you this. In an NHL league where an expansion team goes from not even being in the league to going all the way to the Stanley Cup in their first year, why can't the Sabres realistically sniff, if not sniff, even get into a playoff spot at the end of the season? What's stopping them? Oh, they can't. No, nothing is stopping them. They can. I mean, I think the thing that worries some fans is the goaltending because you don't know if Carter Hutton is going to be able to take on the massive workload that he'll probably get this year. But to me, that's not as big of a concern. I think if a goalie gets hot, then you can ride them for a while. And I like Olmark as a backup. I think he's pretty good. This team could absolutely be competing for a playoff spot in April. I don't think that's crazy at all. You look at the talent that they have. Eichel, Middlestat, Skinner, Reinhardt. Deline, Ristolainen. There are some really talented players on this team. You just need the chemistry. And maybe this is the group that has it. They haven't had it in the past, but that doesn't make me think that this group doesn't have it. There's no reason to think that they couldn't be the team that turns it around. So I know the over-under on the Vegas line right now is 80 and a half points. I'm taking the over me on too. that. And I'm thinking they're, I think they're flirting way closer to 90 points and maybe even in a playoff spot. All right, Matt, I want to end with a little mini lightning round. Pretty simple. All I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Just whatever the first answer is that pops in your mind, just spit that out. All right, cool. All right, deal. Favorite all-time athlete? LeBron. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Golf. Oh, that's sports. Wow, I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> Hang out with friends. Okay, Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter you know? Joe. Okay. Italian. What's the best sports movie ever? Ooh, Miracle. Okay, we've spent this whole podcast talking about you knowing that you wanted to become a sports broadcaster, but let's just say for whatever reason, that never worked out. If you had never gotten into this field for whatever reason, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? English teacher. Second last question. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, yo, Matt, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter now and one person only, that's the policy, one person, one organization, one Twitter handle only, who would it be? ESPN. Get all the sports that I can. (laughs) All right. Last question here. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter when, who would you have? Uh, I think I have to, you know, born and raised Catholic. I'm going to go Jesus. That's an easy one. And I'm going to go with my grandfather who passed away when I was 12 years old. And I would also go with my grandmother on the other side of my family who I never met because I would like to meet her. Matt Bovey, everyone. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore B-O-V-E. Of course, check out his work at Channel 7 and on WKBW.com. Thanks, Matt. This was a lot of fun. It was good to get to know you. Hopefully everyone listening, they got a lot out of it, got to know you a little bit as well. It was a lot of fun having you on. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
All right, it's the Run It With Joe, turning into an almost weekly thing on this podcast. I got my buddy Joe from Buffalo Winds on for this segment. You can follow him on Twitter at Buffalo Winds. Joe, I want to talk process today, more so trust the process or whatever you want to call it. I'm struggling to find a balance in between what I see as being considered trusting a process, and I'm using air quotes there, and just what some really, really shitty veteran roster and personnel decisions, frankly, by Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, whoever's making them, whether it's one of them, both of them, whatever. And let me elaborate a little bit and provide some context for each before I bring you in to do the run-in as the segment of the title so eloquently says. All right, is that cool with you, man? Let me ramble for a few, switch it up here a little bit. Yeah, I can go take a bathroom break while you ramble. Go ahead. <laughs> well, first, let me give you some solid examples of what I do consider trusting the process. And by the way, of course, when we say that, that's the term that we keep hearing, you know, so so that when the bills are not good right now, it's don't get down on the team. Just trust the process that everything's going to work out. Well, in these cases here that I'm going to lay out a few of these, this is what I would consider trusting the process. Josh Allen struggling as a rookie. That's trust in the process. Jermaine Edmonds struggling as a rookie, like he did against the Chargers last Sunday. That's trust in the process. Maybe a sophomore slump for a guy like Tredavious White, who was so good last year. That's something you could say, trust the process. Or a kid like Zay Jones, who's trying to put a miserable rookie year on and off the field behind him this year. Trust the process. Okay, or any rookie, or any young player for that matter, who's making you know, game-changing mistakes and stuff like that, or even like a bad Sean McDermott decision on the field. I mean, this is only his second year as a head coach. Those are things where if you tell me, trust the process, it's like, all right, I'll buy that. But then there's shit that I ain't buying as trust in any process. It's just ugly organizational decisions. And that's things like signing Jeremy Curley and Vontae Davis this offseason. We all know how that worked out. Two games later, neither of them are even on the team anymore. They trade A.J. McCarron, a veteran, four days before the season starts. Now, allegedly and reportedly that they're at least sniffing the market for a veteran backup. Again, just two weeks later, they signed veterans like Newhouse and Bodine, who have been useless as far as I'm concerned. And I know Bodine might start this week, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Him or Groy, doesn't matter. They're both useless at center. Neither of them are near the caliber that Eric Wood was. And then given a guy like Star Lutelay, $50 million, almost 19 guaranteed. Dude doesn't even have one. I know he's not a stack guy, but come on. He doesn't even have one tackle yet this season after two games. And he had a pretty shitty PFF rank in the past few years to begin with. I mean, what does any of that shit have to do with a process? And I'm tired of hearing that word. Am I wrong here? I want now I want your take on it. Thanks for letting me ramble. I want to hear what you think. Are you tired of hearing the word trust the process? Do you trust Brandon Bean as everything fine and dandy because they made the playoffs last year to just go out and have horrific decision making this offseason? Do I trust them? No. I'm look, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan. And being a cynic kind of goes hand in hand. And I've I've seen guys who have come here you know, in terms of being GMs, coaches who are like, hey, you know, don't worry, we're going to come in here, we're going to 
we're going to get rid of these guys. We're going to give us three years. You know, it's funny. I, I remember this story. A friend of mine saw Buddy Nix at a at Duff's, one of your wing places. I don't know if it, it breaks your top five or whatever, but no. like, he saw him at <laughs> he saw him at Duff's, and like it was right when Buddy Nix got hired, and the guy and they just were talking, and the guy went the the friend of mine was like, hey, what do you think about the Bills? And Buddy Nix said, just give me three years. And like, that's, you know, and, and what, what, did, what did Buddy Nix? He cleared off the garbage that was there previously and brought in new players and it failed. So like, I've seen these rebuilds before. I've seen it in 2001 with Tom Donahoe. I've seen it with Buddy Nix. And now we got it with McBean. And look, I'm, I don't know, you know, they've, they've done some good stuff and they've done some bad stuff. I don't, you know, it's tough for me to sit here and go, hey, do I trust them? Because if you would have told me last year, oh, hey, they're going to make the playoffs, I would have been like, oh, hey, give them carte blanche for a couple of, th- you know, three, four years at least. But because they they made the playoffs in such a weird, like they just slipped on a banana peel and just fell right into the playoffs, basically. And then they kind of just dis- destroy their roster again and they do the rebuild year two. It's just kind of weird. It's 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 like. Not your traditional rebuild. Usually the rebuild starts year one, and then the rebuild starts in year two. In terms of trusting the process, yeah, it's a it's a it's an annoying fucking phrase that they stole from the 76ers. Feels like an uh, excuse. That's all. I hear those words. I think it's an excuse. Yeah, it's it's suffering. It's what Darcy Regeer said. Hey, it's suffering, and we just and and I think look, they they know that they their entire this is a rebuild pro- project. It was a rebuild project from last year. I said this. Uh, I probably have said this a few times in the podcast that like last year was supposed. They were supposed to be shitty, and I thought. And the I don't want to give the team credit to being like, oh, they went major league, like the movie. I think the majority of the major league, like Tom Berenger was like basically, you know, uh, Andy Dalton and Rick Vaughn was, you know, Andrew Luck getting hurt. Like you know what I mean? Like all of these things happened for them to make the playoffs last year. And if anything, I question it's, it's this, like some of their moves have been weird. Like I was thinking, you know, everyone talks about, you talk about Devontae Davis, the, the Jeremy Curley stuff. Like those are like veteran guys that are like one year guys and they suck. And I don't, you know, it looks bad on them, but I'm not going to kill, I'll kill them for it. But it's like, whatever they were going to be here for this year. And then they would be gone. Like they're just, they're just scotch tape on this fucking, you know, or a bandaid on this wound for the most part. I think what deals kind of piss me off is that. I still am not a fan of the Sammy and Darby deal. I, I and I'll tell you why I'm not. Even the Sammy Watkins deal with the second rounder, they got EJ Gaines back. If I were them, I would I would not have asked for EJ Gaines. Even though EJ Gaines was fine last year, did pretty well. I would have asked for another draft pick because you don't when you do a rebuild and you're trading guys, you want like future assets. You want picks. You don't want rental players. Same when they played, they traded Darby and they got a third rounder in Jordan Matthews, like a, a rental guy. You know, you would you would say, hey, give us a fifth rounder instead of Jordan Matthews or a fourth rounder. You know, give us picks. That's that's what you want. And they they haven't really done it that way. And like, I, I you know, in, in our weekly let's force feed wrestling into into football, I always remember like what Paul Heyman used to say, like when he would take over a promotion. And he one time said this when he was in talks with TNA to take over once where he goes. If I go there, if you're above 40, you're, you're getting the chopping block. That's kind of how it is with rebuilds. Like, if you're over 30, you're, you're out. That's how it should be. And for the Bills, they didn't do that, that at all with this rebuild. They, they, still, like, they still had Kyle Williams. They still had McCoy, Clay, 
a, a, lot, a bunch of guys. Eric Wood and, and Incognito last year. You know, those are guys that you probably would say, hey, you know what? We got to get rid of them. We got to get younger. They're one of the oldest rosters in the league right now. And that's where the rebuild is just kind of weird for me in a sense. And then with the rebuild itself, you know, it's still – look, we, it's going to be – Sally, it's going to be another two years, really, I think, for this rebuild. And I, I wish I could figure out how they want to do this roster. I still think they're kind of in this this, this uh, old, archaic way of, like, they believe in defense. And, look, you can believe in defense all you want, but, like, it's still a passing league, and the rules just do not favor defenses as much as it did even five years ago. And they haven't done shit for the offense. Again, like we talk, I talk about this every week. Pat DeMarco – is your is your highest paid free agent acquisition on offense? Like, come on, like they, you know, we'll see what happens next year because they're supposed to have all this fucking salary cap and and do stuff with that, and we'll see what they do with that. But uh, yeah, I haven't. It's it's I, I don't know. I just they, you know tr- the trust the process thing. It's just whatever. It's just a slogan, and we'll see what happens. If they if they were if they had come from a not like Carolina, but like let's just say they were it was like Tom Coughlin. We'll just say who was like a czar. Who went to you know Jacksonville? And he's doing great things down there. If it was a guy that came here and had like Super Bowl rings and a great resume and like we drafted Hall of Famers and all this stuff, then I would I would be more inclined to say, yeah, I trust the process. I trust this guy because you know they got the resume. Where with McDermott and Bean, you're like, yeah, their resumes are okay. I mean, I'm not like falling my over and like you know want them to you know give them total car blanche and be blind blindly loyal to them. You know, and that's it. And you could question it. I don't want them to get fired or anything, but you can question how they're doing this right now. Well, again, you know, let me be clear on this. If the Bills go 2-14 and this season, I'm fine with that because they got a rookie quarterback in there with not a lot of talent around them, and they got a rookie middle linebacker who's essentially the quarterback of the defense. I'm perfectly fine with the Bills going 2-14 and this year. That's not my problem. My problem is people... They don't want to blast our GM for making what are just terrible moves, man. Dude, Rontae Davis, it's a terrible move. You got to do better than that, replacing EJ Gaines. And I know salary cap to a certain extent was an issue this year and that they were piling up dead cap for next year. So I get that. But don't tell me that you can't do better than Vontae Davis. Don't tell me you can't do better than Jeremy Curley, which, by the way, I thought that was an absolutely horrible move to release him. It was not a numbers game. Don't buy that bullshit. It was not a numbers game. I'll tell you that right now. He got cut because he was raising a little bit of hell in that clubhouse or in, that, in team meetings. Something with his mouth. There was something that he they didn't like from him. That's why he got cut. There's no way, no other reason why you would cut him after literally one game. Why did he make the final 53 if that's the case? Then you get rid of him after one game. So, you know, it's stuff like that. Why does Brandon Bean seem to be above? And I get it because they made the playoffs last year. I get that. I do. And again, go 2-14 and 14 this year. I'm all right with that. But make moves that seem to help your young players that you're building around. What the fuck does Vontae Davis, Curley, get rid of A.J. McCarron and signing guys like Newhouse and these guys? How does that help your young team build in terms of, like you say, trust in the process? I just, again, I hate that term, and I don't think that they have done a very good job building and getting veteran weapons around these young players. Yeah, I mean, that's well. That, that, here's the thing, Pat. This is, 
it's a rebuild. I don't when you're rebuilding, I don't think it's it's one of those things where you can get all these players. Keep going you know younger. What I mean? Go younger and younger and younger. Why are you yeah, signing I old mean, bums? Why are you signing Newhouse? Why are you signing Curly and Davis? <laughs> go on and get second yeah. year guys. I don't care if we go 0-16 shit, man, but do it with younger players who have some kind of ceiling. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's I mean, my I mean, beef. That's why well, I don't completely the buy they, into they it. Had, they had younger players and then they got rid of those younger players because they weren't theirs. If there's anything I, I could be really, you know, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly enamored with them. I hate the trust the process thing. I kind of think it's their, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I guess I'm just wait and see. I'm not you know, like, like I said, I'm not enamored with them, but what I'm annoyed at is like, there's this double standard where if you're, if you have ties to the Carolina, like whether they know you as a player or a coach or whatever the case may be, they give you chance after chance after chance. Like they, they, they gave Star Latoue a lot of money and why? Because he's, one of their guys, you know, he's from Carolina. They gave Mike Tolbert yeah. a good salary last. Yep. I mean, not a good salary, but you know, and he was shot. But then you you get you get guys who they don't like, and they don't even give them a chance to like like. Less, I'm still pissed off that they traded Reggie Ragland. I thought it was stupid. Like they last year, you get a second round guy, and then you just automatically say, "Oh, he doesn't fit the defense," and then you throw him on the third team like right away. And I'm like, "What the hell is this? Like, he's not that trash. He's not bad. Like, I don't want to hear this." He doesn't match the defense. I mean, that's it's a little. I, it feels like it, it's that's a little bit like of uh, you're you're trying to get weasel your way out of him by saying, oh yeah, he doesn't match the defense when you just don't like him as a player and you just didn't even give him a shot. Same with Darby. Like they were trying to say Darby didn't fit the system and what Darby goes to a freaking team that runs a zone and then it's basically kind of the same defense. It's not, it's not that complicated when it comes to changing your defense. I've seen enough teams over the years where they've changed philosophies. And it fits like a glove. I remember in 2010, Kyle Williams, when he went from the, when the Bills went from a 4-3 to a 3-4, I remember there were a lot of people, myself included, who were saying, hey, they should maybe trade Kyle Williams because we don't. We, I don't think he can be a 3-4 nose tackle because he's too small. And, and what happens? He has like the pro football focus like years, nose tackle of the years award basically in 2010. That's when he blew up. Like guys, like, you, like, you don't know until you throw those guys into that you know in that fire and i think with the bills they just don't they they got rid of so many young talented guys even before we could see if they're good or not and again that goes back to you know why are you trading your getting rid of your younger talent getting rental guys and not having and and then buying these veterans i mean yeah i guess you know you could say like why why are they going with these veteran guys and so on and so forth but i don't know man i I get to an extent that maybe they don't I can understand them not wanting someone else's guys that, you know, the Whaley era guys, they want their own guys. So I, I agree with you. I think Watkins and, and Darby were very talented players. I didn't like the Raglan trade either. I can understand to an extent Darby and Watkins getting dealt. Again, they want to go, they didn't want to pay Watkins at the end of the, this yeah, past but year. What, that, that I could understand with the salary. Yeah. But, but I just don't like the veteran additions that they've yeah. added. I think they're poor decisions. And one more thing, and then I want to do move on. Well, actually two things. Number one, when you hear the word rebuild and you automatically think three years, I don't buy that shit in today's NFL anymore. I, I don't have a list in front of me, but I'm telling you now, pretty much every year, a team goes from last place to the playoffs just about every year. So I don't buy that a rebuild needs to take two or three years. Get your, make better decisions. You know, if this, if this offensive line was better, Maybe this team's not 0-2. Well, they'd probably still be 0-2 right now. But they'd, be be. Out, they'd be out right. But they'd be, you know, they'd, they'd be in a better position than they are right now. Go out and do something better than Jeremy Curley. And I do want to make one other point, and I'll get your take on that. Then I do want to move on. 
I'm a little bit concerned, and this was brought up on the show Tuesday. Guys like Curly who, you know, leave or get cut after a game and a half. A guy like Davis who quits at halftime, and yeah, you know what? I don't buy it why he quit. I just think he was done. He got benched again. He was inactive the first week. I just said, you know what? They were getting blown out, and he's done. Whatever. I'm not going to look at it as a reflection on the Bills like Tone Bucks did on Tuesday's show. But he did bring up a point that I do agree with. I'm a little concerned, cap room or not, when some of these veterans, the way things are going down here in Buffalo, you, they might not want to come here, man. I don't know what's going on. If it's McDermott and some, some of these veterans just aren't feeling the way, you know, that he's coaching and the way things are at one Bills drive. I don't know what it is, but some of these veterans don't seem to be getting treated very well here. And that could end up becoming a problem when you're trying to attract guys to come here. I mean, if this team's 3-13, and 13, you better be overpaying in a big way or you're not going to get that top-level talent. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to a contender or to a team that they're happy playing with. You know what I mean? So I'm a little concerned about the way some of these veteran departures have happened recently. Yeah, I mean, it's always a concern to recruit people to come to Buffalo. I mean, it's Buffalo. You think about Buffalo, you think about snow. You think about shitty teams. I think an athlete wants to go to a place where, A, they, they think they can win. B, they're going to play with players who are going to accentuate their talent. You know, if Tom Brady's playing in Buffalo, I think, like, any wide receiver is going to want to come there. They don't give a shit. He's Tom Brady. Right. Or th- three, the type of city, you know, in terms of that. And, and again, it's, they, it's known for snow. And there's a lot of teams next year that have a lot of cap money. Like, it's not like just the Bills. Like, the Jets have a lot of cap money. And I got news for you. If I'm a wide receiver, I'd rather, I, you know, and I, I'm going to wait it out, obviously, but, like, Darnold might be better than Josh Allen is, you know, when this year's done. And there's it's New York City. Like I'd rather live probably in New York City than Buffalo. So it's going to be a lot. It's going to be competitive. And you're right. It does look kind of shady and weird that, you know, certain veterans have had issues, you know, like Vontae Davis quits. And and then like even going back to last year with Anquan Bolding quitting and like, you know, it's just it's a hard place to, rec- to sell people on. Sometimes you got to pay them, uh, you know, a lot. And and you have to remember this. I don't. Next, you, it's always important to have recruiters. Like LaShawn McCoy is a guy who's known. Like he can probably recruit or help recruit certain players. If he's gone next year, who are you going to have as your like your your lead recruiter? He's going to be fine in his own job, I would bet you next year. This yeah, rate, he's going to be thirty one you know, years old and nine million cap it next year. I don't see that. Yeah. I mean, they can afford it, but I, mean, I don't see it happening. I think what they'll do is they're they're going to try probably make some trades. Like they should. That's why they should get as many picks as possible. Like give up a fourth or fifth rounder for to a cap strip team that that will give us a wide receiver that way that player has no no say he has to come here anyway you know what i mean like you know but uh it's yeah it's 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 gonna be a it's gonna be a shit show this year it it might be a shit show next year right now this is like a this is a this is a long-term rebuild they got rid of you know they got rid of a lot of talent you know they got rid of some young talent they're they got rid of all doug whaley's guys like everyone and there were guys who i you know, again, the Sammy deal, that kind of strikes, I guess, like, hey, they didn't want to pay him. But you know what? You replaced him with Kelvin Benjamin, and Kelvin Benjamin hasn't been close to what Sammy Watkins would do if he's healthy. And you you got rid of Ronald Darby, and you, because even though he was on his rookie deal, and his replacement was is EJ Gaines, and he's gone, and the guy, Monte Davis, just quit. So, you know, your replacements, you want to trade guys, you better have adequate replacements for them. And they haven't done a good job with that at all. Let's bounce around a little bit here. Kind of actually, but let's bounce around all over the place for the remainder of this segment. First, from the ridiculousness of the internet, I saw a tweet where a Vegas gambling website had Sean McDermott as the betting favorite at four to one 
to be the, not just to get fired, but to be the first NFL coach fired to be this season. Look, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's fucking crazy. I think the Bills could go 0-16 and McDermott ain't getting fired. What do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of, I agree with that. I do wonder, I, I don't, I don't gamble at all. Like I hate gambling. I could tell you maybe whoever came up with that, that odd, maybe they have some inside knowledge. I have no fucking idea how they get their stuff. Like I'm thinking of like it's a point shaving or something. There's no way. But yeah, there's no way he's getting, no, there, there would have to be something just astronomically bad. I off think the they field. have. It would take yeah. something that happened to him yeah. off the field. It would take him committing a crime to get fired. Yeah, essentially. Look, yeah, look, this is these are the Pagulas. They just went through a tank where they wanted to lose for two straight years, and they kept the GM for two years afterwards. Okay, they're they they're 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 used to the suffering shit, you know. Now, how about the Super Bowl? Okay, because we're trusting the process. The Bills ain't going to be playing in the Super Bowl. Maroon Five, it was reported, is going to be the headline halftime entertainment. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Maroon Five? Are you happy with them being the halftime show? And if not them, who would you have? Okay, you're not going to believe this. I, I know the name Maroon 5, but I cannot name a song by them. I, tell me a song by them so I can... Moves like so Jagger. Can, that's the only one that pops off the top of my head. What's this, How's the song go? I got the moves like Jagger. <laughs> oh, I yeah. got the moves. Yeah, okay, I got that song. Uh, they, yeah, they have I, a, know, I, I agree with you. I sort of know like a line or two from songs. I'm not a big Maroon 5 fan, they, but they, they like are popular. All those... They are they like so they're like a poppy like they're, yeah they're they're pop rock they're pop rock oh, man what yeah, the fuck I, is the matter with you that you don't know any Maroon Five songs at all Adam bro, Levine you, you know you only know one song fuck I you. know more than that I think I do. you you, you can't even like sing it what, look <laughs> I, I don't know no they shouldn't be they, they no look the halftime show is for like legends like who you Gaga, got then Lady who do you Gaga. got pick one I don't know. Have has Maroon Five? How many albums have they had? Have they won Emmys? Dude, or, yeah, they're they're, a, they're one of the more modern, biggest pop rock acts there are out there. I'm not going to deny them that. I'm not a mm. big fan of them personally, but they are big. I don't know if they're Super Bowl halftime big. That's what I'm saying. So if it ain't going to be Maroon Five, who, who who would you have? I'd bring back Bruno Mars every fucking year if I could. Bruno Mars, yeah, Bruno Mars is good. I you know I I want. What the fuck? What do I want? Not Justin Timberlake. He sucked last year. Uh, who do I want? I would. I want. Give me Lady Gaga. She's awesome. I like her. I like her spunk. Bring her back. That's <laughs> Yo, what I want. You, I, I, you probably didn't watch the Emmys, but did you see Fonzie won an Emmy? Won his first Emmy? Did you see that? I saw that he won an Emmy. I don't. I. I have never. I'm a pretty big '80s like sitcom, like '80s '90s sitcom guy. I never got into Happy Days. Never really watched it. My sister loved it. No, I, I mean, I just know the Fonz and, you know, that. I mean, that's kind of before my time. Like, what, 84 is when the, it ended? I love the Fonz. I don't even, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't watch much more recent TV than you do. I don't even know what he wanted for. I have no idea what hey. show he was in. I, hey, what, was his, right. what, what was his catchphrase? Hey. 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 And he hey. hit the jukebox, dude. It's fucking the Fonz, man. I'm okay, well, Jesus Christ, Emmy. sorry. I didn't fucking watch the Happy well, Days. I know my, you, days right. my day sucked. All right, I, well, know, I know that you watch Game of Thrones. That one best yes. drama. Were you happy to yes. hear that? Yes. I agree with that, too. I thought it was great. There was some, Westworld was one of the shows that was nominated. I, I don't remember the other ones, but I thought Game of Thrones was awesome, so I was happy about that. One more thing about the Emmys. <laughs> if you can't remember Happy Days, 
You probably don't know who the marvelous Miss Maisel is. That shit dominated the Emmys. It won Best Comedy. Um, obviously, you didn't see it. It's about some no. 50s woman, a, a stand-up comic. I got to watch it because, I mean, again, it just dominated the, the Emmys. It's like on Amazon. I didn't know that you can get TV shows through Amazon. You didn't know that, dude. What the hell no. you been? You yelling at me mean, about Maroon 5. You don't even know you can get TV shows on Amazon, bro? Uh, I'm not much. Wait, I want to go back to Game of Thrones. Okay, You don't bypass Game of Thrones with me without us talking about it for like 30 <laughs> seconds at least. Okay, It's the greatest show of all time. I'm already if if you and I are still friends next year when it comes back or Trump hasn't blown us up yet, we're doing Game of Thrones recaps every oh, time. Yeah. On the run. I'm in for that every man. time, every time, dude. That show is awesome. I've I've been a I've loved that show since season two is when I started watching it and I've read all the books. Fucking show is awesome. If you're not watching, Peter it, Dinklage won a won an Emmy too for best supporting actor as well. Yeah, he's 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 done that twice now. I think he won yep. uh, best supporting actor. Yeah, the show's awesome. He's the man. Tyrion's the man. I got to hit on WWE real quick before we get out of here. I just want to get your thoughts on the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view from last Sunday. Other than the ending, I enjoyed it. What did you think and what were the high points and the low points of the show for you? I think I got like half my predictions wrong last week when we did the segment. Um, I like the Becky I like Becky Lynch winning the title. I was kind of surprised. I didn't think they were going to take it off Charlotte so yeah, quickly. I agree. Um, but hey, good. I mean, I like Becky Lynch. She's awesome as a heel. I, I, if I were them, if they really want to get her people pissed off, they should have her steal, uh, Charlotte's robe and like have her cut it up. That was like a hot <laughs> idea. I was, I was thinking of that today. Uh, what I wasn't happy about, uh, you know, someone had told me I had was listening to a, a, a wrestling podcast, AJ Styles in the last two years on pay-per-view matches 14 of his matches were involved in like a DQ or a schmaz or anything or anything along those lines. No clean wins. Really? 14. Wow. Yeah, like, think about it. I think never thought Nakamura. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, think about Nakamura, like those fucking matches where it was like, oh, he kicked them in the balls, like a DQ, like all that shit. And like, same one in this. So it's like, you're kind of making him a little bit somewhat boring right now with, with what they're doing with him. And, you know, they, they got to put the championship on Joe at some point. Like, I don't know. I don't think they're going to because I, I, so a friend of mine, like, texted me, like, what if they're waiting? I, I don't know if you know, it's where AJ Styles is supposed to be on the cover of that W2K fucking video game that's coming out in November. Yeah. So I have I have this feeling they're going to have him as the champion up until that point. So they could be like, oh, look, the champions on W2K cover or whatever the fuck, you know. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't like how they've been booking him. Um. And look, I love Brock. I think Brock is the man. But Me like, too. you know, but like to have it like a schmoz like that was kind of stupid. And then, and then the Jeff Hardy, the Hardy Orton match, I liked, but like the finish sucked. Like because fucking Randy Orton like moved out of the out of the off the table like three seconds before Jeff Hardy fell. Like, yeah, you know, timing they, wasn't great they, on that. The timing on that was not great at all. So it, it was an okay pay per view. It was like your typical. Like okay, they're setting us up for the Australia show, and then the, and then they're setting up for the the fucking Saudi Arabia show. It's just like all this setup. It just felt like Hell in the Cell was like ultra setup for Australia and and the other thing. And I think I've read that the that Shawn Michaels is supposed to come back for the yep. uh, Saudi Arabia show, and I think they're going to do a tag team match of Triple H. I think they're going to do Triple H and Shawn versus Kane and the Undertaker, yep. which is out. That would be kind of cool. I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I've, you know, even though Sean's old is dirt, I wouldn't mind seeing Sean again. Let's end with that wrestling term that's kind of becoming a tradition now for the Running with Joe segment. 
Joe, hit me with your finisher. Well, without trying to sound redundant and just trail off a tangent and doing five Stone Cold Stunners in a row, my finisher is this. Look, I know that I have kind of this mentality of giving shit to the local media, and it's, you know, I try not to. But, like, if there's one thing that I have seen, like, the last three, four months, it's about the declaration of how you, insert media person's name, are there every day to cover the bills. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. You're not covering a war. You're not covering a documentary where it's 24-7. You're there for basically an hour to interview people in the locker room and then do a 10-minute conference with the coach. That is hardly being there. That, that's being there every day. That's being there for a lunch hour. And it's just it's just since since the preseason, it's been burning my ass because we had this whole sort of, oh, these national people, they, they're not here every day like we are. And Nathan Peterman looks good in practice. And how dare Mike Clay or whoever have, have the Bills ranked 32nd. The only people that could say the Bills suck are us because we're here every day. And it's just kind of – it's just tiring. And I, I think I think access media is the most overrated media there is right now because, A, you don't really break news anymore. It's mostly done by the national people. B, the only thing you kind of do end up breaking because you're there every day is stuff that happens after the fact. Like, oh, hey, let's smear this player because this player didn't want to play here anymore or this player didn't fix, fix you know, fit the defense. There's just nothing I really gained from that. And it's it's 2018, and I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing people say that as a defense for why they're like an expert in covering the Bills or the Sabres or anyone for that matter. And the funny thing to me is that in the local media – there, half the media isn't even there every day. The radio hosts at WGR aren't there every day, they're, and they'll tell you they're happy that they're not there every day. When the, the the Buffalo News had columnists, they weren't there every day either, And except the beat guys. The TV people, I can tell you for a fact that some of those those TV people for uh, for like Sabres Morning Skate, they, they don't go there in the morning. They send a photog there to shoot, to get sound. So it's not like everyone there is there every day. And I, I, I get sick and tired of having that get thrown in my face or anyone's face when they're like, oh, I'm here every day. And then that's why you got to listen to me and not listen to to this national media person or this per, this blogger sitting at home. Like, enough already. It's 2018. Bill Simmons made millions off the fact that he wasn't there every day but knew how to tell a story. You don't need access to know how to tell a story. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Once again, thank you to Matt Beauvais from WKBW-TV, Channel 7 in Buffalo. That was a fun chat. It's the first time I ever got to talk to Matt. Good to get to know him a little bit. Hopefully you guys got something out of that. Like I said, I think he's a guy who's really on the rise when it comes to Buffalo sports media. I think he's going to be a star for years to come there. Also want to thank my buddy Joe for our weekly Running With Joe segment. Good stuff as always. Coming up on the show next Tuesday... You know what? I'm actually not completely sure what's coming up on the show next Tuesday yet. I know we'll be breaking down the Bills-Vikings game during Pat with Fox with my guy Tone Fox. Not sure who we're going to have. We're probably even going to have another guest on Tuesday. See how the weekend goes. There's something going on in Florida that I don't want to get into right now. But there's a kid who plays high school football that is just getting wronged by the system. He was ruled ineligible. 
and there's an appeal going on. And I want to see how things play out before I talk about that. But if things don't go this kid's way, we're definitely going to be talking about that. I'm, I'm going to bring you that story. I think it's repulsive and disgusting. Hopefully, I don't have to bring that to you, though. So we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of days. Anyway, if you haven't subscribed already, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you want to call it, and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You just go on the app. You hit the subscribe button. Bam, new episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. Play them on your phone, delete them after so that it doesn't clog up all the memory on your phone. If you don't have iTunes, you can also catch us on iHeart. What else? Spotify, Stitcher, you know what? Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Hopefully the Bills will give us something more fun and positive to talk about next Tuesday. I doubt it. We'll see. Again, have a good weekend. Stay safe. That's it.